0: As a, as a leader of an organization, I think one of, the, one of the biggest responsibilities is to, A, have a vision, and B, to be able to communicate that vision to the organization.
1: There will always be somebody stronger, faster, and smarter than you. Surviving depends on your adaptability to change. Those who are the most adaptable are dialed in. Today's show, talking with Raymond King, talking about building the path to IT leadership, Raven has been on this fierce journey to uh, develop himself and to create his own path to IT leadership. So, uh, and a lot of people are on that road right now. A lot of people are jumping, uh, are jumping ship and changing careers, changing industries, even uh, just with everything that's been going on, right? So, a lot of people out there looking for jobs, a uh, lot of economic loss, and you know, you you got to find your own path, and sometimes the path is not very clear. Sometimes there's multiple paths and sometimes there really is no path. So you have to build that path for yourself. And that's exactly what Raymond King has been doing. And we're going to get into his mind today and learn uh, about the challenges that he's gone through to get where he's gone through. He's a recent CISSP grad. So um, kudos for that. We're going to get into all of that uh, right now. So uh, Raymond King, let's come up uh, on the stage and let's get the show going. What's going on, Raymond? Hey, Kyle. How you doing? Hey, good, man. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, Absolutely. What what are you the most dialed into, man? Like the thing that you are obsessed about?
0: Well, I guess you could say I'm an old IT guy, right? So I've been around for a while. Uh, You know, computer science was my background, software development, et cetera. And I guess today what I'm most dialed in about is sort of the unique opportunity I see that we've got um, in this sort of... COVID pandemic or post COVID world that we'll be going forward into. And and what I'm really thinking about is maybe answering the question finally, once and for all, whether or not IT is truly a competitive advantage uh, for the business. Because I know over the years we've had discussions about IT just as a cost center. And I think what we've seen, especially in the pandemic, is how quickly we have been able to spin up and pivot and actually allow businesses and organizations and healthcare, et cetera, to start using IT as a way of delivering their services. So I, I'm really excited about the opportunities and hopefully we can translate what we're doing today under pandemic into sort of business as usual going forward. But most importantly, that we will truly be seen as that competitive advantage for the business.
1: Oh, absolutely, no, I completely agree with that. That's kind of where everything's going and it, where you need to be to be on uh, on the same page there. So, you know, tell us a little bit more about, about Raymond King, you know, tell us about your journey, like give us some context, uh, how you got here.
0: Yeah, so I've, I've been in IT forever, it seems, um, you know, going back 25 plus years. Um, I've been in management since the early 2000s. So I've seen um, so many things in terms of the journey of information and technology, the transition uh, into the web, uh, going electronic in many cases. My background is in um, primarily in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, My first job out of uh, college was in clinical research, working at the Stroke Center and at Columbia University on a pivotal neurological stroke study. But I've worked in the pharmaceutical industry almost exclusively for the last 25 plus years. Um, And in that time, you know, if someone had told me when I was doing my degree that I would end up in pharma, I would have said, no, not really. Because more than likely you were going to go work for, you know, finance, you're going to go work for, you know, insurance company, whatever it is, uh, or the government. Um, But the opportunities came up, and and the challenges that we face in IT really translate across pretty much all industries. So I had really great opportunities to do some really exciting work, especially in the early 2000s when, like I said, we were ramping up in applications development and web-based development. So I got to play with some really cool stuff. I had leadership who really sort of just set me free and said, go learn it, bring it back, excite our customers, and that's what I was able to do. So that was really awesome.
1: Oh, great. No, great. So so you are you're now a CISSP. So kind of what what spurred that what kind of spurred that change for you?
0: Well, you know, I have to go back a little ways. So um, about I think it was eight years ago, I was working for um, Alcon, which was then acquired by Novartis, the drug company um, Alcon here in Fort Worth. And as part of my development plan, working with my then um, boss, who was Richard, Dr. Richard Newton who is now the the mayor of Colleyville. As part of my development plan, I said I wanted to work on something that was part of the mothership. So Novartis is a huge company, uh, you know, $50 billion in sales. It's got presence globally, and it has about four or five different verticals within the company. Um, And typically when they're running major initiatives within IT, they cut across the entire organization. So I said on my development plan, I wanna work in one of these big initiatives which would give me exposure to the breadth of Novartis, to all of the divisions and work with my colleagues around the globe. Um, And that year we were running 2013, we were running um, a security remediation program. Now, I was supporting the uh, clinical and and medical safety groups in R&D. But this was a program that covered the entire organization. So there's a cautionary tale here, be careful what you ask for in your development plan, because you might actually get it. And what it turned out was I was, uh, you know, named to be the program head for this remediation program, which really covered security, compliance, governance, et cetera, Um, huge opportunity, um, great scale. And and for me, it was really an opportunity to prove, number one, to myself, whether I could execute at the next level, but also prove to the organization is sort of the path into leadership. So that was a really exciting year. Um, It's the hardest I've ever worked in my career, but also the most rewarding time ever. Um, we accomplished a great deal of stuff and really cool stuff um, and it was a learning experience for me right so learning about compliance governance security etc. so I had a very short ramp up curve you know within two months I pretty much had to learn as much as I could because I then had to wrap my arms around it and really be the face for the program to lead it and to make sure that we were executing against the expectations. So that's kind of how I came into the security space compliance governance security. Um, and over the last several years, I've had a number of different roles that were primarily on the governance, the overarching governance side. But as sort of the, the world has changed and, and, you know, security's really become the hot topic. It's it's a board-level conversation today. And it's super important for, I think, most companies to ensure that, number one, they don't get breached. Number two, they don't have ransomware in their environment. Um, and, and just making sure that they're protecting their environment and their customers. So as I've progressed through this and as I've been sort of looking for my new role, I realized that I also needed to sort of firm up my knowledge and understanding and really get deeper into the, the details of each of those areas. So I completed a number of certifications over the last several months, including, you know, ITIL, COVID, uh, but the pinnacle, you know, of course, the CISSP is probably the premier security certification out there from, you know, the ISC, to square, ISC squared. Uh, and that was a really difficult journey. I'll have to say that. Um, I had previously done the uh, the security plus certification, which was kind of the entry level, if you will. But the CISSP is such a broad, all encompassing certification that you really um, you have to cover a lot of material to get through that examination. So as as difficult and painful and hard as it was, you know, when you actually see that you have passed, (laughs) it's an incredible feeling. Um, and, And it certainly it helps to orient you differently. It's not just about security or the technology. It really helps to orient you as a security leader that you have to focus on, number one, the needs of the business, the risk profile of the business, and make sure that whatever whatever actions you're taking or implementing, that they are aligned, truly aligned with the business. So the the takeaway is that studying for the exam is incredibly hard. By the time you get to the exam, it seems almost as it's, it's easier than you expected. But there's no question that what you come away with is a different perspective entirely.
1: Wow uh, did Did you have any like support systems or, or people that helped you out along the way um, during your CISSP?
0: Yeah. Um, so I initially did a, a very short class, um, but then studying on my own independently was probably a major part of it, and that included using primarily two resources. Um, one of them is Sari Green, and Sari Green uh, is part of the um, what's it called again? It's, uh, geez, the Pearson view, the Pearson world. So it's the Pearson IT learning, and she has a, a module that's, I forget how many hours, it's about 24 hours worth of content, very comprehensive about the details of everything across the entire scope of the CISSC, CISSP exam. And that exam includes um, eight topical domains, including things like security and risk management, asset security, communications and network security, et cetera. So she covers the breadth of all that stuff. But the resource that truly made the difference for me was um, Luke Ahmed's study notes and theories. And Luke is a CISSP. I think by day he is a a network security engineer and he has this really incredible uh, website and resource that made a humongous difference for me. Um, so the questions, his test questions and his videos and his explanations and kudos to this guy, because, you know, he's got a young family, he's got a day job and still he's able to create this incredible resource that I think made absolutely the difference for me and helped me to really understand how to interpret those questions and to really understand what fundamentally they're asking about. And again, in most cases, you have to know the technology, you have to know the stack, but the question that they're asking you typically is about how do you, um, propose something to the business that addresses their risk in a way that sort of is optimizing risk as opposed to optimizing the use of tech. It's not just about the tech. So that's sort of the mind shift that I think is one of the greatest challenge for anyone who's going through the CISSP journey. Um, it's really that recognition that you don't just focus on the technology.
1: Absolutely. Uh, can I ask a favor of you? Uh, after the show's done, can you go back in uh, uh, on the live feed and then drop in uh, links to those uh, resources that you... Um, yeah. because that would be great to share with people. Now, um, Absolutely. Yeah, now pivoting just a little bit here, you know, uh, throughout your IT career, you know, what would you say is like the, the most fascinating job or project you've worked on um, that you just re- really
0: enjoyed? Um, so besides the remediation program that I talked about, and yes, that was hard, you know, four hours sleep average per night. Uh, besides that, I think there were a couple that, that really were, I think, useful for the business um you know the the accessibility of information in today's world especially within the pharmaceutical organization um is, is being able to make decisions that are based on data right it's database decisions not just sort of you know spitballing kind of thing uh, one of the projects we worked on was actually creating um digital dashboards for senior executives within the organization um, and at the time, I was supporting clinical development. So clinical development is essentially where pharmaceutical companies uh, have their programs to bring a specific drug to the market. And of course, within that program, you have got an end number of clinical trials that you're executing to test for efficacy and safety. So across these different programs, senior leadership kind of wanted to have this sort of single view of the world. And it's something that we didn't have. And of course, this is back when we were heavily into paper recording, et cetera. So we were challenged to sort of come up with a way of presenting information in a way that was easily consumable, point, click, drill down, drill down et cetera. And, and that project was super exciting because it was really novel uh, in the company. And we actually were able to pull in data from a number of disparate sources, which really gave clear visibility into the status of things like patient enrollments, the number of adverse events, uh when the when the studies were going to complete where they're going to meet their objectives etc and and really as a, a managerial tool to be able to give the managers visibility into where their challenges and problems and also where they needed to focus their resources and from a senior management perspective they're always obviously concerned about are we on track are we going to meet our, our, our you know, deadlines because cycle time and when you actually complete is super important. Mm-hmm. So that was a really exciting project to work on because it wasn't just about what we were delivering. It was actually working across all of these other verticals within the company to get the information we needed. And it was really a great collaborative effort where we were able to deliver something that was super valuable to the company. And, and you know, the kudos, not not for me specifically, but the kudos that the team as a whole got just was really phenomenal.
1: Nice. What, what do you think? What do you think? Like the takeaway message that you learned from from that was?
0: Well, you know, like most IT projects, it's all about understanding what the expectations are, right? What are the requirements? Um, and we did have a little bit of leeway, obviously, not obviously, but we had a little bit of leeway in terms of how we we put things together. Um, it's how we designed it, so m- more than you know what they were specifically asking for. And at the time, again, as we were moving into web based technologies you know, things were changing fairly rapidly. So we were able to sort of experiment and do some really cool things which historically had not been done before. But, but the key thing is always alignment, yeah? Um, if you deliver something that you think is really cool, but your customers are like that misses the mark, then yeah, that's not a good thing. So it, it's really, you sort of drawing that link between what their expectations were and delivering something that in my, in my, you know, I believe it truly exceeded what they thought they were gonna get. And that's always an awesome feeling.
1: Yeah, so the, the product you guys worked so hard on, the customers actually consumed it. They actually yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. I yeah, mean, how, how often does it happen where a product is built and you th- the, the team thinks that the, customers are, the consumers are going to enjoy it, and then they don't, you know? Oh, no. <laughs> Oftentimes, very often. So as we yeah. talk about, you know, building your own path to IT leadership – and you've mentioned a couple of times already that, you know, you're in, kind of in this journey, this career career transition, if you will. Um, you know, what are some, some steps, some tips you've kind of been um, following along the way here that might be useful to people that are out here watching?
0: Yeah. So, I, you know, I'll take a, a broader view of this because I can think back to, um, you know, how I started my leadership journey. Um, so I was working for a company, uh, you know, several years ago. And my boss at the time um, really gave me some great opportunities to explore things. Uh, I worked for a company which actually allowed us to go to, you know, one conference. And I'm talking like a multi-day conference, like, you know, sort of the Microsoft conferences, et cetera, as well as one training every year. So that's number one. They they actually gave us the tools to learn and grow. Um, But she also put me in some interesting situations. So, for example, the company was going through uh, business process reengineering. And we had all these multidisciplinary teams. And uh, my boss assigned me to a number of those teams. And at the time, I was really just a, a software developer, right? And, you know, I'm, internally, I'm kind of scratching my head. Why, why is she doing this? And what I realized after sitting in a few of those sessions is that because you're sitting in, in, in meetings, you know, everything from procurement to, you know, contracts to um, things that are specific to pharmaceutical industry, PKPD, PD, et cetera. And I'm wondering, well, I'm not an expert in any of those areas, but what I realized is that she actually was allowing me to sort of explore the the systems thinking part of it and asking the tough questions in the room. And it's one of those, you know, well, why are you doing that? And the answer typically was, well, we've always done it that way, right? So in terms of trying to optimize those processes, I think what she was looking for me to do is to really use my systems thinking to help them to see a different path or how we could use IT to sort of um, enhance what they were doing. So that was a really great experience because at that time, it's, it's sort of building confidence in who I am. Um, and then also, you know, just giving me a number of different opportunities, which allowed me to learn and grow doing really um, impactful things for the organization. So that was that was really great. Um, and then just sort of the general progression over time. And I've done I've done a stint as an independent contractor. Um, you know, when I joined Alcon, they, they were going through sort of a very interesting growth period. One of the first projects I worked on was, was an assessment of all of the IT capabilities across research and development within, within Alcon. And of sort of comparing current state to best practices and then coming up with a roadmap for how we would actually address those gaps. So, you know, those types of projects really help you deeply understand the company, but also it's an opportunity to show how IT information and technology can actually enhance their capabilities, enhance how they can serve the needs of their customers. So over time, I had a number of really great opportunities. And I worked for companies that I think had fairly robust learning and development programs. And that's super important. Because kind of going back to my what am I dialed in about, I think the the opportunity or the ability to, to really embed IT as sort of that difference maker for the company Really depends on having people who are number one, um, capable. They have the right training, and that you have leaders who are capable of executing against the mission. Yeah. So you know, for me, it's it's one of those things that I take very seriously as a as a manager myself. I always took that really seriously in terms of people development, and over the years, I've also mentored a number of different people, and those things really can't be underestimated. Um, you know, learning development is is probably not not a lot of companies, I think, are investing heavily in that, but but I'm reminded of, of a couple of quotes. Number one is, you know, you can see it on the web. It's the, the CFO says to the CEO, you know, what if we invest in training people and they leave? And then the CEO says, What if we don't and they stay? And the implications there is you have people who maybe aren't current in their in their field. And if you think about the pace of change in today's environment, right? we're no longer bound by Moore's law, which is fairly predictable in terms of how quickly capabilities grow. And today it's almost exponential growth when we think about the impact of cloud and where we are with Amazon and Google and Microsoft. Um, So you have to have people who are capable, right? And you have to have people who are trained. And then the other quote related to that is, I think it's um, Sir Richard Branson, who says, um, train your people well enough so they can leave treat them well enough so they want to stay and and that's just a a mind-blowing deal yeah because yes you can train people and and the fair is that you train them well enough that they walk out the door but if you're actually treating people and you create an environment or a culture where they feel valued where they feel they have a path forward um people are more likely to stay yeah So those things have always been like super important for me. And and in my own stint as a manager or a mentor, I've always tried to make sure that I've been, you know, talking to people, making sure I help them to understanding what their development plans. And that's a key thing. Um, It's not just about the organization. It's about us as well. We have to have sort of a development plan about where is it we want to go. And and then, you know, working with your manager, your leadership, et cetera, and trying to see what are the steps that you need to take to actually help you to achieve that. So there's definitely ownership on the individual, on yourself, in terms of building that plan and being realist, realistic about who you are, what you're capable of, et cetera, but then having a supportive organization that can help you to achieve that.
1: Yeah, uh, Raymond, I, I absolutely love those quotes. And I think, you know, especially now, companies are actually, it seems to be, uh, the perception at least, is that companies seem to be awakening to this, hey, we better get with it on this culture thing. Um, or else, uh, because you know, if we've kind of seen this play out time and time again, where you know, you know, they're like you said, like they're either not training, uh, they're not training the employees well enough, and now you're just you're sitting here with like a lack of innovation, a lack of motivation, uh, or they're training them too well and not treating them well, and now they're they're jumping ship to. You know, to to Google and to into bigger companies and to better places, right? So we see we see that we seen that happening like over and over again. Um, how do you in your career um, transition right now? Like, how do you spot those companies that you want to align with? And how do you find them? How do you feel them out? Because you know they might they might say all the right words on their website on in the job posting they might say all the right things cuz it's you know you hire a copywriter it's easy to do that but how do you how do you actually flesh it out to be like hey you know they're the real deal
0: yeah you know, there is no substitute for someone who actually works in that organization who you trust right yep. um and and certainly interacting with folks on social media LinkedIn uh, linkedin's a great place to sort of you know meet people and talk to them But, you know, unless someone is is really super excited about the company, you you can usually tell. You can tell when someone is actually excited about what they do, you know, showing up for work every day. They're excited to talk about their products and programs as opposed to someone who is just, you know, coasting along. And and you can usually tell when someone's not not really dialed in. so it's it's not as like you said. You just can't go to a website and just see what their marketing speech is. You really have to to build those relationships, and and that's one of the things I really appreciate about you know the Elevate Exchange platform and and the various events is because you know we get to talk to folks in in companies and industries that we don't necessarily typically do. When I think back to uh, the Houston Exchange that we had last month, I guess it was. You know, we have people who were from real estate, we have people from oil and gas, and, and typically I don't interact with folks in those industries. So it's great to have, you know, forums like this where you can actually talk to people and, and get some insights about different companies that are really doing great things. And, and this is actually an interesting um, sort of segue. But one of the things, one of my previous roles over the last several years was as a transformation manager, right? So building the transformation roadmap for how information governance and management in Novartis was going to be moving forward. And we spent a lot of time really looking, um, you know, assessing against best practices again. What are the things we need to do? But one of the realizations we had was that, you know, typically we spent a lot of time looking internally at what are we doing internally? And and it sort of limits your, your scope and limits your view. And what we realized is that we needed to spend a little more time looking externally, looking at other companies in our industry, but also looking at other companies in general. And just the purely the use of technology or security or whatever it was, because and it's, and it's in doing that kind of research or just paying attention to trends in the industry that you can actually um, really find measurable ways of improving, you know, because sort of you get it's like going native. Right. Mm-hmm. You've been working yeah. in an environment for so long that you sort of have tunnel vision. And it's not until you step out and look around that you start to see, well, other industries are using this and here's how they're doing it. And here's the value that that's provided. Because ultimately I think for us as as leaders, as, as technicians, whatever it is, coming back to your organization and saying, hey, look, I see that we have an opportunity to do something we're not doing currently. Here's the example, here's the value that it delivered. It's something that I feel that we should do also you know, putting those things on, on the table really helps to show the value of who we are as IT and the and the business really recognizing that, yeah, here's an opportunity that we were not aware of. Let's go for it.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, w- what you're talking about is like striking that perfect balance, right? Because if you're looking internally only, you're missing the external. If you're looking externally only, you're missing what you could have learned from looking internally, right? You need to find that, that perfect balance. And I, I feel like s- so many companies... Um, you know, maybe it's changed a little bit now, but so many companies up to now, like they, they've been like solely focused internally, like, and they haven't been, you know, from my perspective as a, a consultant that sees across multiple businesses, um, they don't look externally typically more often than not. Uh, they, they kind of live in this little bubble of like, you know, this has worked for 30 years. I, I understand it's worked <laughs> for 30 years, but, uh, it's yeah. not going to work for 30 more. Trust me. <laughs> You know, so, Absolutely. you know, it is, it's just about finding that balance and, and being open minded enough to, to look outside. So, you know, yeah. You know, besides uh besides what we've all been going through, um, I you know, uh, hats off to to you for, you know, you, I mean, you've been going through probably one of the most challenging times here uh, in your career and your life because uh it's during probably the the worst time that you'd want to be in transition um exactly. and and here you find yourself in transition and you know what are what are some things that you've found um along the way some challenges you've had to come along the way uh in regards to like how do you stand out how do you how do you how do you network now like you know how how, how are things how are things different for you now uh, as you're building your your path to to leadership
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there's no question that, you know, these are not normal times, right? I think we all recognize that. Um, But, you know, that's almost the secondary thing. The being in transition, I think, has changed um, quite significantly over the last several years. Uh, For anyone who is going through this process today, uh, I think one of your greatest enemies, the first thing you find out is that the application tracking system, the ATS, is not your friend, right? (laughs) It is very you have to find so many ways of sort of gaming the system, to be honest with you, to really get past the ATS. But it really requires an awful lot of time uh, in terms of, you know, updating your resume for every role that you're going to apply for, uh, you know, trying to make sure that you're you actually matching, you know, keyword matching, all those things that you have to do these days. Um, and the reality, Kyle, is that I don't think there's any substitute for actually having a personal contact in a company that you want to work for, yeah? So you know, going back to what you said earlier, how do you know which companies you want to work? You really have to have a short list of companies that you want to work for. And then whether you're mining your LinkedIn contacts to see if there's anyone that you know who works there or is in your network, however you do that, I think there's no substitute for actually finding someone in an organization you want to work for who can actually introduce you. Because it's super difficult, I think, for someone, a recruiter, who is quite frankly a hired gun to just review resumes, may not understand the actual scope of the role, and they're just really looking to check the box. Does the person meet this, meet this, meet this? Another difficulty is really, you know, I think it's, I've heard many different terms for it, but the, the purple squirrel, the purple unicorn, oh, right?
1: Yeah, Seth Godin.
0: You, you look at some of these requisitions and you're like, really, how, how are you going to find anyone who checks all of these boxes? And, and I really wonder whether it's, it's a, a failure of you know management the person who's actually creating that requisition not truly understanding what is what is required versus what is optional um or whether it's just you know you're trying to make this so difficult that um you're, you're weeding people out um by attrition right um uh, so that you only end up having to deal with a short a small number of people you know in terms of bringing people for interviews etc but one of the other challenges, and I, I've experienced this myself, but I've heard lots of horror stories, is how pe- how companies are actually interviewing candidates today. Um, you know, what everything from, you know, video, it's not even an interview, but sitting in front of a camera and answering a series of questions, which then goes off into the ether and someone hopefully reviews that and then gets back to you. Um, or, you know, just some of the difficulty you have with technology and, and face to, you know, sort of uh, computer-based interviews. It's, it's, it's very unfriendly, in my opinion, to the candidate today. So it's really about resilience and sort of maintaining our energy as we go through this process. Um, And, and frankly, there, there are days when I, you know, I'm super, you know, drill down and getting things done and applying and searching for roles. And then there are days when you just have to kind of step back. And it's, it's become even more apparent in, in times of COVID that you really have to sort of take care of yourself mentally, right? Be kind to yourself. Um, and if, you, if you're feeling a little frustrated, step away. Uh, give it a day or two. Come back and just keep moving. Uh, because you certainly have to maintain that sort of positive energy to keep moving through this.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, what do you say to... Um... You know, I feel like they they've been beating a dead horse with this, but by saying you know there is a lack of cybersecurity professionals uh, out there in the market, and I feel like there's not a lack of them. I mean, I don't know. Like it seems to be like a disconnect there. Like you know, you will read the headlines, lack of security talent. I think there's plenty yeah. of security talent. they just they just don't know where to look. What do you think yeah. about that?
0: Well, yeah, I've got a couple of di- different perspectives on this. I, I fully agree with you. I think there are lots of folks out there who are actually trying to find those roles. And and part of the challenge is that you look at some of these requisitions, like I said, and and for sure, it's the purple squirrel. They're, they're asking for so many different things. Um, and I think in general, companies are really looking for people to come on board who have all of the qualifications, whether it's experience, certifications, knowledge, etc., fully formed, if you will, right? So companies really, I don't believe, are really willing to bring someone in and develop them anymore. They want to hire someone who has all the qualifications. End of story. Well, that's that's kind of difficult to do, especially when you have this ramp up of security, right? Um, the importance, uh, you know, how many roles we've had created over the last several years. You're creating demand. Um, but the supply isn't really there. And at some point, companies have to make a decision. How do we fill that how do you fill that void? Do we bring people on board and train them, or do we just continue looking for someone who does not exist? Yeah? So I think that's that's one question that I think the industry has to ask themselves. And sure, it is up to us as individuals to make sure that we do have the qualifications, that we in some cases, you know, when I'm mentoring some of my my young colleagues, I tell them, look, you're probably gonna have to go in either as an intern. Or you know an entry-level position, learn on the job and try to try to grow in that position. Um, so it's it's kind of difficult. It's difficult for us as candidates, and certainly I, I think companies struggle with that as well. But having said that, there's no question that if you hire someone who is not capable of fulfilling their role, that's probably more dangerous than not having someone in that role, because if you're assuming that person X is doing something to protect the environment. And in fact, they, whether mistakenly or whatever, simply because they don't know, they leave a gaping hole. That's the worst case scenario, right? So it's kind of that balance between companies figuring out, um, can they bring people on board and develop them or really just leaving the positions open? And I don't think it's a, it's a tough conversation to have. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It's, it's kind of like, uh, there's been many like cartoons on this and, and whatnot, like, you know, in the Wall Street Journal and stuff, but you know, it's like, you know, you go in for the for the job, and it's like, well, well, do you have any experience flipping burgers? Well, no. Well, well, how do how do I get experience? Like, you need to have that experience to get the job. Cool. Well, how do I get that experience to get the to yeah. get the job? If if I, if I have to have the experience to get the job to get any job doing that, then how do I even get the experience to get the job? <laughs> like, come on, like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? It's it's basically that yeah. conversation. Like, right? So, how do you how do you get the experience if 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 the experience is required for the job? And you know, yeah. as as we all know, the best experience comes from doesn't come from a book. It comes from being on the job and yeah, exactly. learning on the fly. Like uh, being able to, t- like you said, being able to test you to the capabilities. Like uh, how quick do you respond uh, under pressure? Um, right? Are you proactive or reactive? Right? Like like that should be more of a that should go in your resume. Like I'm more I'm more proactive versus reactive. Like you know, oh, that's the type of person we want. You know, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think we're just looking at the wrong things.
0: I fully agree, and I think, and I think, you know, as hiring managers, I think you can really look at a resume and and tell whether someone has sort of already shown a growth in their career path, right? Whether they've taken on new assignments, more challenging roles, whether they've been promoted. Quite frankly, because those are folks that you really want to pay attention to. Yeah. So there, there are certainly ways of kind of weeding out candidates but it it really has to get that resume has to get in front of the hiring manager my feeling is that in many cases resumes don't get that far they are dropped way earlier in the process so it's difficult to do
1: it's almost like you need to have like your own like copywriting team for every job (laughs) and just have them like just cram like seo a bunch of keywords in there just to get you to the top and yeah the resume would probably even be like hard to even read at that point yeah (laughs) you know Uh, it's kind of sad uh, so, so moving on here, uh, you know, uh, what is something that, uh, that, you know, I didn't ask you that you probably would have answered?
0: Um, you know, in today's world, with, with the pace of change that we've got, uh, I, I truly believe that one of the differentiators for any organization is how well we manage change. And I'm specifically talking about as leaders, Right. Um, You know, I really feel strongly about leaders being a couple of things. Uh, Number one is uh, change advocates, really being, you know, being able to stand in front of the organization and and sell it. Um, You know, as as a leader of an organization, I think one of the one of the biggest responsibilities is to a have a vision and b to be able to communicate that vision to the organization so there really has in my opinion there really has to be a greater focus on on that capability um, in people we put into those roles because especially as things are changing so quickly you need folks who can stand in front of a group and and really sell it you've got to be able to sell the vision and sort of what is the path that we need to take going forward and that that generally falls under the the umbrella of change management yeah i think you and i've talked briefly about that before uh, the people side of change Because in a lot of cases, we are really super um, capable of doing project management um, and all the the parts of that discipline. But where we fail or where we fall down is actually in in how do we get people through that change cycle? How do we ensure that when we deliver that tool, that the people on the receiving end, they're actually, A, they understand why we've made the change. They understand how to use the tools or whatever it is, Um, and that we can fully realize the value that we told senior management we were going to deliver. So I think, you know, as as leaders, we have to be able to a, communicate, sell the vision and actually help people to move through that change for it to truly be effective. So that's one of the things, um, as I said. Learning and development is is really super important for me. And, you know, there are a number of things. One of the other things that I thought was really great early in my career was actually doing um, you know some of those self-assessments as well as as training from the organization what, what was one uh, of the
1: one of the self assessments that that uh, stands out to you most
0: the the myers-briggs personality i think it's the mbti right myers-briggs personality type assessment um and and i did this again when i was still fairly heavily a technologist yeah um and uh, you know i always knew that i sort of made decisions fairly quickly and and I, I I was sort of trying to figure out exactly who I was, and the, my Myers-Briggs personality type actually was sort of a weight off my a weight off my shoulders, because it answered so many questions that I had about myself that I didn't know how to ask. So I am an ENTJ, which is extroverted. Um, intuitive, um, technical, and I think it's judging is the J, and judging in this case means that you tend to make decisions fairly quickly. And the E, extroverted, means that you get your energy um, from the interactions you have with the people around you. So these are things that I kind of knew about myself, but to have it confirmed by that instrument was super helpful for me. And on my journey, it sort of made me feel more comfortable in some of the things that I sort of internally questioned. So, you know, I think if companies can do things of that nature, um, maybe my company actually did it with a lot of folks, especially folks who were on the management management teams. But I think if companies can find ways to get those type of things in front of their people, help folks to understand who they are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses, what they need for development, um, I think that really helps a lot.
1: No, I love that. Uh, let me ask you a question that just came to mind, and I think I might ask this question more often. Um, th- this this might be this might be a good one. This might be a keeper. Um, can you can you rearrange these in order of importance? Okay, um, IQ, EQ, emotional intelligence, and AQ, adaptability quotient. Uh,
0: yeah, that's a good one, Kyle. Um, I, I certainly um, think that AQ adaptability quotient is very very important right especially and again especially in today's world because the pace of change is so incredible and you know I used to call myself um, change agile right because I worked for organizations that were constantly pivoting transforming and you really had to be very change agile or to have that aq in order to survive but more importantly in order to be successful yeah um, I think eq is always important especially as a leader um, I have worked for some leaders who Uh, we're very good at reading a room. And it's something that I had to sort of make sure that I learned how to pay attention to. As in, you're making a presentation to your team, uh, you're broaching a new topic and recognizing the people who are engaged and asking questions, they're already moving through it. And the people who are sitting with their heads down and you don't know what's going on. And I've had bosses who would go back and ask those folks specifically, Hey, come by my office. Let's talk and really identifying that. So EQ is really important because you have to understand where are people in their journey, uh, when they're showing up on a daily basis, are there any challenges, you know, and really trying, really establishing that personal touch. I, I think it's incredible. Um, and then IQ, yes. It would be great if the people that we work with and, and even ourselves are capable, intelligent, you know, are, are capable of doing the job, but I think those other two are super important in order to be truly successful.
1: Nice. I love that. So AQ, EQ, IQ, that's your order.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, I'm, I'm, I love that. I think that that might be a keeper. Um, so uh, uh, Raymond, are you ready for the dialed in five? Uh,
0: yes, I am, sir. Let's do it. We're <laughs> going
1: gonna to pick up the pace here a little bit. So these will be like probably a little bit quicker to answer. Um, so let's jump right into it. Uh, what is the most important thing you've ever learned in your life?
0: Oh, my gosh. That, yeah, that's incredible. These are going to be stingers. Um, I would have to say that, uh, you know, and I think once you have children, you kind of figure this out, right, that what we do in our careers probably isn't so much important as the impact we have, A, on our children, but also on the people around us. Um, and it's it may sound a little, uh, you know, <laughs> being kind, being considerate, and actually taking care of the folks around you. If, if you do those things, I think good things happen. And whether that's in your career or in the people around you, if you are, you know, capable of showing empathy and sympathy and, and being loving, I think there's nothing greater than that. So careers are great, but it's it's who we live as every day that's more important.
1: Love that kindness. Uh, yeah. what makes you feel most inspired, like your best self?
0: Um it, it's it's a couple of things. And if you'd asked me this question, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I would say it was delivering on some awesome project and that really cool tool. Uh, today, it's more about, you know, the people that I actually work with and help. Um, and like I said, I've had the opportunity to mentor a few people over the years. And and when someone picks up a phone and calls me back and say, hey, that thing you said to me, that piece of advice you gave me, even though it was painful at the time, really just helped me in a situation and I really appreciate it. Wow. Those are the moments you're like,
1: yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I can relate. Uh, what is the single best book you've ever read? Or, or would recommend to others?
0: <laughs> um, I don't know if there's a single one. I, I've got a few that have, have been in the moment. First one, first,
1: first one at the top of the mind.
0: Um, oh my gosh. We,
1: we, we won't hold speak, you to it forever.
0: Speak like a CEO. Speak like a CEO. Yeah. And it's a book that really talks about the role of a chief executive in an organization. In, and again, selling the vision, um, standing and really making sure that you can actually get people moving in the right direction. It does a lot more than I, at the time that I read that book, it was really impactful on my leadership journey.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Um, who's that by speak like a CEO by who? Oh
0: my gosh. Uh, I don't quite remember. Uh, Suzanne. I think it's Suzanne Bates. I'll, I'll look it up. We'll go back in and plug that in there. Um, yeah.
1: If you could have dinner with anyone that has ever lived, uh, who would it be and why?
0: So having looked at the previous shows, I kind of was ready for this one. Good, (laughs) good. And in today's environment, I would have to say Nelson Mandela, right? And the reason I say that is because when I think about his journey and then, you know, coming out of jail and then really setting South Africa on a different path, I think a lot of people were afraid of what would happen. But, you know, the truth and reconciliation commissions where you essentially sit down and look inward, look at yourselves and admit who, who we've been, what we've done, and then figure out how do you move forward. It would have been very easy for him to come out and be sort of an angry person, but I think he did exactly the opposite and he was able to unite people and get them moving in the right direction. So, you know, just to sort of understand his perspective on how do you spend 30 plus years in jail and then come out and become, you know, the father of a country, that that would be an awesome discussion to have.
1: Oh, that's great. That, that would be awesome. Uh, invite me to that one, please. Uh, yeah. uh, and now that you, now that you are officially dialed in, Raymond, what does being dialed in mean to you?
0: Um, you know, I think I, I really appreciate this opportunity, Kyle. But for me, it's about there's so much work to be done. Yeah. Um, I, I like I said, I'm excited about the opportunities for IT, and I certainly want to get back into an organization where I can contribute and getting thing to, and get things done. And and quite frankly, in today's world, you know. Protecting people's privacy, you know, the security of information, and and sort of the the ethical use of tech, ethical use of technology is is really important because I think we've already figured out that IT more than likely is going to be the catalyst for change, not in just our companies, our industries, but really in society. So I, I want to be part of that journey.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Outstanding conversation, Raymond. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you guys did watching as well. Um, connect with Raymond on LinkedIn. Uh, we'll plug his profile here. And, uh, and and thanks for being on the show, man. Appreciate this. Hey,
0: thank you, Kyle. Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for listening to Dialed In. This show is brought to you by Acuerdo.io, the world's first orchestration agency for the future of work. Go check us out at Acuerdo.io. This show could also not be put together without great partners, Robin Austin and Casey Yarbrough of Elevate Exchange, membership for IT leaders. And remember to win in life, to win in business, to win in your career. It's not about being the strongest, the fastest, or the smartest, it's simply about being the most adaptable to change, the most dialed in.